Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Larson, along with, as usual, Cricket Lou. Well, here we are, end of summer. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, four days, right? I guess so, till the equinox. Yeah, it's Greta's birthday, actually. I was just going to say, yeah, that's your daughter's birthday. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason I'm able to remember it, is that I can peg it to some meteorological event. Yes, yes. Hers is particularly easy to remember that way. The beginning of fall, baby. Yeah. Although the baby is now turning 12. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and so she's, um, well, that's right. So she's like about six months older than my daughter. So she must be in seventh grade this year. Yes, she is. Okay. She's in seventh grade. Uh, you have a tween. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I knew that <laughs> just from, from being around her. She's delightful. She's a beautiful little girl. She can be uh, a little sassy sometimes. Yeah, does she watch does she watch the Disney Channel? Um not a ton. Actually, she some of her favorite shows to watch uh are she likes the the cooking shows like Chopped. Mm -hmm. uh, um and she also likes uh there's a I think it's an HGTV show called oh, it's about fixing up houses starring a a very cute couple from Waco, Texas. Have you ever seen that? No, but yeah. I've seen Chopped, but I haven't don't yeah. watched much on HG. Yeah. Unless so I were she, to catch it on a plane or something. Yes. And and somewhat alarmingly, she likes to say yes to the dress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just noticed uh so I, I loathe the Disney Channel. I don't I don't dislike Disney as a, overall, mm -hmm. but I think the Disney Channel is full of shows with snippy little kids with bad attitudes. And so my daughter has been known to sort of illicitly sneak the Disney Channel and I can I can tell. Yeah. So we've we've put the kibosh on that. Yeah, they do. They do. I agree. Kind of glorify this this sassy, back talking, wisecracking um, tween or teen, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's have not... none of that. <laughs> on the other hand, I think I think that attitude may come around regardless of whether <laughs> the individual watches the Disney Channel or not. I suppose you're right. And there are, of course, their friends who uh, who may also watch those shows. It may rub off. Well, what do you think? Should we do some DNS questions? I guess so. Let's let's do that. We actually realized, you know, so we're always we're always pleading with everyone to send questions, and and when we when we looked at the mailbag, we have so many questions we can't fit them all into one show. So we actually. Oh, and I shouldn't have said that because now people think they don't have to send questions. <laughs> right. It's, that is not a plea not to send questions. <laughs> yes, that's just, um, it's a good problem to have. So many questions we'll have to keep recording, yes. assuming that everyone's listening because they enjoy listening to this rambling. Um, all right, but here we go. First, first questions. So we have greetings from a long-term listener in Sweden. Mm. which you pointed out is a little bit different than long-time listener. <laughs> yeah, it's subtly different. I'm not sure exactly what the, what the, the difference is, but yes, certainly guy, we, we appreciate having long-term or long-time listeners. Yes, this guy's name is Neo, so he's with us for the long-term. Thank you, mm -hmm. Neo. So he says, I've got a question regarding reverse DNS practices of IPv6 internet providers who don't delegate reverse DNS to their customers. Did I leave a word out there? Uh, I, I think he may have. Uh, 
So, so he basically says, since the number of possible V6 addresses is very large, such providers would be hard-pressed to fit all their allocated addresses into a conventional zone file, which is very true. Mm-hmm. Because typically what, I mean, people get assigned, what, slash 64s, right? Oh, gosh. Often. I mean, you mean what would they get assigned uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like a, to an organization? Uh, well, even just a just a like I, I am not a Comcast subscriber, but like what 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 does a Comcast residential subscriber get? Well, the the standard site allocation is a slash fifty six. Huh. So okay. you're probably going to get nothing smaller than a slash fifty six. Well, there you have it. That's a lot of addresses. <laughs> it's a whole lot of addresses, and that's that's like what you'd get if you were. A, a household or well i mean not a household because you probably wouldn't be independently routed but it's still it's a big big chunk of addresses yeah yeah so his question is what are the most common techniques and software for dealing with the problem of providing v6 reverse dns records where lots of records are involved Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i think um the the most common uh technique is just not to add reverse mapping and i think that that's that's no different um from the way that it's been with IPv4, um, there aren't that many applications that actually rely on reverse mapping being there. So, if you if you have an IPv6 address and it doesn't reverse map to anything, there's probably not a whole lot that would uh, would go wrong. Um, there are exceptions to that, of course, exceptional cases where you might have, say, a mail server or some other application server running at an IPv6 address. And you really wanted its address to reverse map to something, and that's something to uh, uh, symmetrically forward map to the same IPv6 address, but you can add those individually. Um, it's certainly true that you can't really create a uh, an, an actual uh, zone data file for for something. Uh, even the even the the smallest uh, IPv6 subnet is a slash 64 probably, uh, and you can't create a, a a reverse mapping zone that would have any substantial portion of those those pointer records, but um, there, there is soft, there, software out there that can, can deal with that, that can synthesize uh, things like IPv4 and IPv6 reverse mappings on the fly. I mean, Infoblox's appliances, not to, to plug us, other people can do this too, but we can do that. You, you send us a query, and if we have we have, a, we have a ability to add like a template, basically, and it says, if you send us this query, we send you back a domain name that looks like this, and maybe it's got some of the, some of the hex tets from the IPv6 address, uh, embedded in labels or what have you. And so I'm legally required to ask, uh, what about DNSSEC? Do you sign on the fly then? Yeah, in a case like that, you obviously would have to sign on the fly. Um, but again, there's so little that's actually using DNSSEC that, oh. that not signing it is probably not a, you're, a you're deal breaker either. I know, I know. And even you know, though, even though you know I agree with fan. that, I know as well as you know, but... <laughs> There's, a, it's one thing to know it; it's another thing to say it out loud. I know, I know. We all, we, we both—not not we all—we both, and probably a large percentage of our listeners want DNSSEC to be successful. Um, but yeah, especially with reverse mapping, <laughs> uh, if it's not if it's not uh, DNSSEC signed, it's not generally speaking the end of the world. But no. but you know, I'm realizing as you were answering the question that I literally had this very issue myself just this past week as we set offline i am I, moving to a new mail server i do stubbornly continue to run my own mail server and every time i have to deal with it i wonder why that's the case mm-hmm. and i assume <laughs> the migration would be more painful than just running it although i only tell myself that as an excuse i mm-hmm. i know you recently 
stop doing that, right? You, you, I, you, I you did. I, I finally said enough, enough post fix and God, what else was Dove I running? Cot. I wasn't even running Dovecot. I was running like some old, like Cyrus, Cyrus IMAPD, I think. Oh, life is too short to run Cyrus IMAPD. Oh, I, that was, I, I could never get the hang of running that damn software. It never, whenever I had to do anything with it, it was just, it was one of those sort of fist clenching experiences where I knew I was going to do something wrong. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so in the process of setting up a, a new server, uh, getting everything going, in fact, I think it might have even been sending mail to you uh, because you're hosted on uh, Google now. Uh, Yes, it, it was. This is all coming back, which is a little frightening because it was only like this past week, <laughs> the week before. But um, uh, I think I was literally trying to send a message to you, and I looked in the logs, and I didn't go through. And the reason was uh, it had used V6 to go from my server to, to Google, and mm. Google said, oh, no PTR record, uh, no mail for you. Mm-hmm. So then I had to figure out how to put a PTR record in with my virtual provider, which wasn't a big deal, but it wasn't instantaneous. So I thought, well, well, great. I'm not going to be able to send mail to anybody at Google until they get their act together and put this PTR record in. <laughs> so then, <laughs> then I thought, well, all right, I'll just shut off V6. <laughs> and, and that's easier said than done. I actually had to scratch around a little bit to figure out how to, how to do that. I mean, it wasn't that difficult, but it wasn't immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. Did you turn it back on once the pointer record was added? Well, that's why I'm glad we're talking about this, because I'm going to go. <laughs> I'll have to go look. So, no, I have not turned it back on. But, I yeah, see. I guess so. The point of that long diversion is that there are indeed times where you, you do need it. And and I don't mm-hmm. think Google cared what the record was. They just needed it to be there as a, you know, as a you must be this tall to send mail. So, in other words, it had to reverse map to something. To something it it, it yeah. didn't matter what it reverse mapped to. Right. So, it would appear. Well, I don't know. I haven't turned it back on and tried. but Okay. Sometimes they ask, uh, mail servers ask that it's symmetric, right? That mm-hmm. it reverse mapped to something that in turn maps to your IPv6 address. Yeah, and looking at this from the other direction, because the other thing I do is run Spam Assassin, which is really a slick piece of software. It makes, oh, I like Spam Assassin. Yeah. makes it between between all their uh, heuristic rules and then the Bayesian filtering. You know, you're in, you're in really good shape. I, uh, I, I trained the Bayesian stuff. I realized I have a corpus of 80,000 spam messages. Oh, uh, which is probably nothing for people who deal with spam, right? But um, for an individual, and, and that's all spam I've received over the years that I've just kept for this purpose. But but anyway, if you look at spam spam assassins, various um, uh, heuristics, the way it works is it basically, I know you know this, Cricket, but it, it comes up with different uh, characteristics of messages, some of which are more spammy and some of which are less spammy, and right. it builds, builds a score. And when you pass a threshold that you can, and all this is configurable, then it's spam. And, and certainly one of the checks it does is a PTR check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, have we answered that? Do we have more I, to say on the subject? I think so. I mean, I, we, we've asymptotically approached an answer as we always do. Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's, uh, should I do the next one here? Sure, absolutely. So this is from Jeremy Laidman, uh, who says he's in Melbourne, Australia. And he says, hi, guys. I'm interested in ISC's impending public release of Bind in August this year. So I guess it's happened. Uh, supporting catalog zones. I've been investigating implementing Paul Vixie's metazones for some time now. I wonder what he means by metazones. There's, there's not a, I know what a metazone is, but is there a thing called a metazone that Vixie's working on? Or is he maybe talking about RPZ? 
No, actually, uh, this is something that Paul proposed some time ago, but that never made it into widespread release. This was uh, an idea, a flight of fancy, if you will, that Paul had. Um, And catalog zones are really based on uh, a lot of Paul's early proposal, which which, which he referred to as metazones. I see. So, but, and so Jeremy continues, uh, but was not keen to implement something that's not well known in the industry. But if Bind supports catalog zones, which seem very similar to metazones, I'm tempted to take the plunge. Do you think you can talk a bit about metazones, catalog zones, and the problems they solve, in particular automating zone, automating zone creation? Also, can you talk about your experiences in solving this problem, or have you always just manually edited namedy.com to create zones? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, we should probably spend at least a little bit of time talking about um, this this idea of a catalog zone. Um, and then, actually, before talking about that, we ought to talk about what the problem is. Um, let's right. say... What, pardon? Uh, go ahead. Okay. So, um, if you're in the business, for example, of providing large-scale secondary name service to an organization today, and maybe it's a a different organization. For example, I think at at Berkeley, we used to have Columbia or somebody uh, run secondary name servers for our zone so that we had um, some source of of our zone data that wasn't actually in Berkeley, which of course is riddled with fault lines and things like that. and if you did that and you, for example, wanted to change the way a particular zone was was provisioned um, or if you wanted to add another zone, then you had to have some sort of out-of-band communication with the guy who was running the name servers at Columbia. You had to say, hey, will you also secondary this zone for me? This is going to be the IP address of the master server. Um, this is the TSIG key that I'm going to use or I'm going to reuse the TSIG key that we use for berkeley.edu or, or something like that. Um, but it's a, it's a very manual process. And, and the same sort of thing occurs even within a given organization if you've got lots of secondary name servers. If you add a zone on um, what you think of as your primary name server, your secondary name servers do not automatically learn about it. You have to go and, as, uh, as Jeremy says, you have to add uh, zone statements to your namedy.com files on all of those secondary name servers, telling them about the new zone, telling them where to get it, and all of that stuff. So um, catalog zones attempt to solve that by saying, we're just going to have a zone, and the zone is going to contain all this metadata about other zones. So um, the zone is going to say, hey, here are a bunch of zones that, um, that are all kind of bundled together uh, within an organization, and um, you know, where to get copies of these zones, and uh, you know, other, other stuff like that. So you wouldn't have to be secondary for individual zones anymore, you could just say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the copy of this catalog zone from this other name server, and uh, that way I'll automatically be provisioned as the secondary for all of the zones it contains." Right, in a vendor-independent way. Uh, yeah, that's the idea. Although at this point, um, I believe that the only name server that has any kind of support for catalog zones is Bind. I don't think anybody else does yet. Yeah, this is definitely an issue. Um, this is something that we ran into. Um, at Dyn when we were uh, building a secondary service to, you know, because there are all kinds of um, providers like web hosting providers, ISPs. There are a lot of people who sort of find themselves in the business of DNS hosting. And I think all of a sudden they turn around and it's like, crap, I've got a million zones, you know? And so they, they realize that maybe they've glued this together with bind and, 
you know they've yeah, got one guy yeah. who spends a substantial amount of his time doing it and so what what uh, what we realized at dine was you know there's there's a market here it's not a it's not a huge market but it's a sizable market and you know we were leaving money on the table because people would ask us you know you know hey i've got a million zones that i don't want to host can you can you do that and so we uh, we we built um built mm-hmm. a platform specifically for this um using power dns and uh, i know that power dns has a feature that's well it's it's not similar to this but it is uh solving the same issue which is uh, you can have PowerDNS automatically create zones when it receives a notify from a trusted source. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is the uh, a similar a similar sort of idea. Yeah. That that oh I got a notify and it's not for a zone that I am authoritative for, but it comes from a trusted source. Therefore, I'm going to automatically provision uh, this zone. Yeah. Yeah, certainly it, it, it's a. I mean, if if Jeremy is interested in our, in our opinions of it, I think uh, <laughs> without putting words in your mouth, I'd say it's it, it fills a a, a a very useful uh, niche. It's 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 something that uh, that folks have to have to deal with a lot. Yep. No, I, I would agree. And since you mentioned Infoblox, uh, I'll say uh, if if you have some zones you need uh, hosted, taken off your hands, go contact my uh, former employer, Dyne, and. They'll host your million zones for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, it's probably also worth saying, I think that uh, Bind 9.11, I think, is the first one that has any kind of support for catalog zones. So if you were able to set up a, a whole bunch of Bind 9.11 name servers, that might solve your, your catalog zone problem. There you go. All right. Um, so I think we've got one more question that we intended to answer, right? Yes. You want to read that one? Sure. And this one is the one that comes from Hakan Lindqvist. I think it's Hakan. Hakan. Hakan Lindqvist, who I'm guessing is Scandinavian and probably Swedish? Yes. Swedish with the, uh, yes. Yes. What do we call the little, the little circle over the A? I was not going to speak of it because I don't know. <laughs> now all of the Swedes who listen to the <laughs> podcast are shouting. <laughs> You fools. <laughs> All right. Well, he says, I have a question which at first glance might seem trivial, but which, like many other things, gets kind of complicated once you dig into it. The question is about the expected behavior of resolver servers when encountering delegation. And I think he means recursive uh, name servers when encountering, encountering delegation. Mm-hmm. This is very much a fundamental concept, and at a hand-wavy level, it's straightforward. However, when looking at the specifics, it gets a bit hairy. And he says, when you get an authority response from the authoritative name servers of the parent zone, hmm. So I guess he just means you get a referral. Referral, yeah. Yeah, from the name servers for the parent zone. You get NS records as well as any glue address records, A or quad A, returned in the authority and additional sections, respectively. And he says these authority section. I'm sorry. These authority records will obviously have a TTL, and uh, recursive name servers do not generally seem to care to look up the corresponding authoritative NS records or address records unless there is an actual query requiring these to be returned. He says I have seen some recursive name servers that have an option to always get the authoritative data before proceeding, but most don't even seem to have that. To my understanding, the typical behavior is that these records are cached despite not being authoritative, but separately from the actual authoritative records to ensure that they are not accidentally returned 
After all, these are essentially for internal use only and are not what should be returned if someone queries for these NS records. Wow, this is uh, quite a long explication. Uh, however, it's very common that the TTL for the authority, authority data in the parent zone does not match the TTL of the actual authoritative records. As a zone owner, you generally have no control over the TTL of the authority data in the parent zone. And I would say that if we look at major TLD zones, that TTL is probably 24 hours or so, while a more typical end-user zone tends to use a lower TTL throughout the whole zone, probably something like two hours. I suppose one might argue that even just the TTL inconsistency is an error, but in my experience, it's rare that this actually matches. Also, if changing name servers, you rarely get these two NSRR sets changed at the same time, and then these RR sets will differ during that transition, or in some cases, someone messes up and has mismatching NSRR sets, but that's more of an obvious error. Also, which records are actually expected to be used by the re recursive name server during normal operation? Am I right to think that it would prefer the authoritative data if both are in the cache, or will it just stick to the authority data for its own needs? These so this is, I was going to say, I was, maybe we should answer that question. That yeah, be, before yes. going on. I'm, just, I'm trying to stop you from having to keep, keep reading. Um, <laughs> so this is a great question, and this is one of those things, one of the many things that um, the collective we, DNS engineering and operational community, uh, learned along the way. Mm. Um, initially, the idea was uh, you, you get records, uh, you throw them in one big pile in your cache, and you, know, you, just, you just deal with it. But it didn't take too long to figure out, as, as uh, Hokan points out, uh, all data that you receive is not created equal. Uh, some is, is more equal than others, and it really is wrong to just throw it in the same bucket and and treat it all as if it were equivalent. And, I mean, do you, do you remember the bad old day, I know you do, Cricket, of bind, oh, I think it was 4.8 and maybe early 4.9s, uh, was before a bind feature called credibility. Mm -hmm. You could get stuff, you could get records sort of stuck in the cache, and they could be propagated between servers, and you could never get rid of them. You literally had to, like, shut down um, all the authoritative servers for for a zone because they would do things like, um, like stuff would get, like it was name servers in in particular. Do you remember the situation I'm talking about? Well, I, I mean, I remember there were lots of there were lots of bad things that happened uh, <laughs> in 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 those days. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think specifically about one that was related to to credibility. I mean, there's one that we have today, which is that you have uh, correct NS records in the parent zone and incorrect NS records in the child zone. Right. Well, I guess, so before we get to that, what I wanted to point out was um, in RFC 2181, which is clarifications to the DNS specification from July of 1997, um, that's a really, if you're into this, and you probably would be if you're listening to this podcast, uh, 2181 is a good RFC to go read to sort of remind yourself of some of the things that we learned along the way and finally decided to roll up in this kind of omnibus documentation RFC saying, all right, here's all stuff that that we've got to write down to clarify. And one of those in section 5.4.1 is ranking data. Mm -hmm. And that basically says, or what Bind calls credibility, that certain data is more trustworthy than others. And that given the choice between learning about the same data, the same resource record set, so in other words, the same uh, DNS owner name, class, and type, given the choice between two sources, RFC 2181 
section 541 gives you the hierarchy. It says this is most trusted to least trusted. Right, right. And so, for example, I'm, I'm looking right at it. The, at the very top is data from a primary zone file uh, other than glue. Uh, next is data from a zone transfer other than glue. Uh, next is the authoritative data included in the answer section of an authoritative reply. Right. Then data from the authority section of an authoritative server. So and it and it and it goes on, but um, that th- this is this is where the issue that then you were going to talk about I think cricket comes in where you have the mismatch NS records. Right, right, and, and that's a situation where, for example, um, let's say you're a recursive name server and you're trying to resolve something in foo.example, um, like www.foo.example's uh, a record. Uh, you talk to the example name servers, and they refer you to the foo.example name servers, uh, which is a set of NS records that you receive. And then you talk to the foo.example name servers. They give you an address record for www.foo.example. And then they also, in the authority section, generally speaking, will include um, the list of foo.example NS records. Um, and those have higher credibility than the set of NS records for foo.example that you got from the parent zone. So what bind used to do, for example, is just to overwrite them. So you had the NS records that you learned from the parent zone in your cache, and then you just overwrite them completely with the set of NS records that you got directly from the authoritative name server for foo.example. If, however, the administrator for foo.example had done something, uh, for example, maybe left off a trailing dot on the domain names of those name servers in his own data file, he might have ac- accidentally listed them as sans1.foo.example.foo.example and ns2.foo.example.foo.example, or any number of other things might have gone wrong, and those might be incorrect. And then, <laughs> because then you had, you'd overwritten the original uh, correct set of NS records that you got from the parent, you'd have this bogus set in cache, and you would never be able to, uh, to resolve anything in foo.example again until... Uh, actually, those those bogus NS records timed out of your cache, and then you had to go back to the parents and relearn the uh, the uh, the correct ones. So that was that was the scenario that I was thinking of, which which uh, has been a problem with Bind for a long time. And we actually just spent some time working with ISC on a, a solution to that problem. Well, that's interesting because I mean I've I've always looked at that as really a a feature, not a bug, in that you know you would want the the cache to prefer the most uh, trustworthy data. Yes, yes. I mean, certainly, generally speaking, that's the right that's the right thing, right? You do want the um, the authoritative zone set of NS records to to be preferred to the parents. But if you try querying all of those name servers, you for example go off and do your glue fetching, and uh, you try to query those name servers. Let's say the glue fetching fails for every one of the name servers. You pretty much know you've got something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a problem there, and you can either just say, "Okay, that's it," and as a recursive name server, you can throw up your hands and say, "I just can't resolve this," or you could chuck those records, you could chuck the cache, uh, uh, at least those those NSR sets, um, and then start over. So I guess it's a question of <laughs> operational how, operationally, how would you like that to uh, to behave? And certainly at Infobox, we have some customers who say, yeah, you know what? I want that to recover. Yeah, so I'm actually reminded, I'm, I'm frantically trying to Google one of my own RFCs <laughs> because <laughs> uh, 
Can you can you stop stall for time? <laughs> well, what movies are we looking forward to seeing in the upcoming holiday season? <laughs> <laughs> so if if you look, it's it's uh, it's RFC forty six ninety seven, which Pete Barber and I wrote. Uh, Observe DNS resolution misbehavior, mm-hmm. and um, I refer you to section two dot one. Aggressive requiring for delegation information. Mm, and this was yes. something, not to name names, but this was something that Microsoft did, uh, <laughs> which, which was under certain conditions, their recursive server would decide, um, oh, I don't like the looks of the NS records that I have. Maybe I better go ask the parent again. Right. And so what could happen is if something happened to um, an authoritative server, uh, it, would, it would pound the parent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. looking for, and, and so we're, we remember that there was a particular outage at VeriSign, or I beg your pardon, there was an outage at Microsoft, and at VeriSign we noticed um, the .com servers getting pounded when, uh, because it just, the, the, the thinking was, well, there's this zone at Microsoft, and presumably a lot of the people who care about the content of that zone are Microsoft customers who are running Microsoft DNS servers, and that was the inference we made. And, and we could see, uh, do you remember... This would have been the early 2000s. Microsoft had sort of a bad patch there where they, they had some really severe DNS outages. And and you could really see at the dot-com level what happened when it was I, going on. Because there I was, do. There I, was I, this I, huge spike of queries when uh, Microsoft servers uh, exhibiting this behavior. Yeah, the, the irony of it was, if I remember correctly, one of the times that this happened, um, somebody in Redmond had misconfigured the router that connected, I think, all four of the Microsoft.com, Expedia.com name servers to the rest of the internet. They'd misconfigured it, and so all of them went dark uh, from the from the internet standpoint. And I was at VeriSign at the time, too, with you. And we noticed this huge spike in, in queries uh, trying to trying to look up Microsoft.com and Expedia.com and I think MSN.com and all, all of these other domain names that were hosted on their authoritative name servers, um, and the name servers that caused the biggest problem in that situation were, were Microsoft DNS servers exactly. on, yeah. on the internet. So it was sort of they caused the problem in two different in two different senses. Yeah, and then uh, and then we I think. If I remember this part correctly, too, we didn't have any way to get a hold of them because we couldn't just send them emails. So somebody had to find a phone number <laughs> to to call them up in Redmond and say, uh, "Hey, <laughs> you see, all of your authoritative name servers seem to be off the air." Yeah, and I know even when we wrote the RFC back ten years ago, that problem had already been fixed mm-hmm. um, in the Microsoft server. But anyway, I just uh, be be careful. You're holding a loaded gun there. Yes, yes, and certainly, certainly, um, you have to be you have to be very careful about that whole e- aggressive requerying. If you're, um, if you go back to the parent and you look up the NS records again at the parent, well, you ought to hold on to those records for a certain amount of time. Um, there's a TTL on them, after all, and you should you should follow that TTL. Maybe what you should do is for some period of time, not uh, not look at the NS records that come directly from the authoritative name servers, have kind of a hold down, for example, that says, Mm -hmm. "Eh, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure those are bad, but um, sooner or later I'm going to have to look at them again and see if they've been corrected. Does that make sense? Should we we finish up with with Hokan's, uh, the the last part of his question? Sure. Okay. So um, where were we? Uh, 
he had said, did we read the also which records are actually expected to be used by the recursive name server during normal operation? I think you read that. All right. He says, um, these details don't really make a difference while everything is static and in sync, but once you're in the process of changing name servers, these questions come into effect. And it really is a bit messy, also unclear how consistent behavior is between different implementations. He says, I suppose a a fairly safe bet is that it might take the max of authority TTL and authoritative TTL, and there I think he means the TTL on the parent zones copies of the NS records and the child zones copies of the NS records mm-hmm. un- until convergence, and that any of the servers in the authority and the authoritative NS RR sets might get queried while they are different, but can one be more specific? I think that I think that the answer to that is that actually, generally speaking, most name servers will only will preferentially use the the actual authoritative NSRR set, right? Right. Uh, certainly, in in my experience, but uh, also in my experience, if there's a way to get it wrong on the internet with DNS, someone will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I will also say in our um, discussions with ISC about that that sort of deadlock situation that we were talking about, there mm-hmm. are other name servers out there that do not fall into that that problem. I mean, you, you described, for example, the behavior of a Microsoft DNS server, which I think still has the ability to sort of recover from that deadlock situation. And I know that there are other commercial recursive name servers that also do. So in other words, they will not, uh, they will not uh, just you know, grip so tightly to that set of NS records from the authoritative name servers, e- even in uh, the the face of overwhelming evidence that they're useless, <laughs> they'll sooner or later give them up and, and try the parent zone again. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense. And uh, I mean, from the perspective of the recursive server, that's what you'd want to do, right? You wouldn't want to say, well, I, I have to just sit on what might be incorrect information because if I ask the parent, other people might ask the parent and then we'll swap the parent. I mean, that's 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 not the perspective that would be reasonable for the recursive server. The recursive server needs to return an answer. So if you can re-query, but in a, uh, uh, in a sane way that, that, that doesn't swamp the parent, why, that's probably your best bet. Moderation in all things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now we did hear the argument from some people who said, "Well, but then if the res- if the resolution just fails, that gives you the impetus to go out and contact the administrator of the zone that's failing, and get them to fix their data." <laughs> to which we said, "I don't think you understand the scale at which this happens out on the internet." <laughs> well, and 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 also from that that's shifting the uh, uh, shifting the problem, right? It's not the um, from the recursive server's perspective, if there's a problem at the authority server, that's that's not the recursive server's problem, right? right? It's not it's not my job to notify them their authoritative servers might be down. I want to get an answer. Yeah, yeah. And we've got carrier customers who've got really, really busy recursive name servers out there, and and they've undoubtedly got, you know, on on a network the size of the internet, they've got thousands, tens of thousands of zones that are in this in this uh, situation at any at any one time. And even if you you sort of percolated those to the surface and had some way that the name server could say, hey, this name's this uh, this zone seems to have this problem, <laughs> it would take a huge an army of of people <laughs> trying to, to to follow up on that in order to to make any headway. So yeah, the onus should not be on the operator or the recursive name server. Right. It's not 1989 anymore. No, it's not. All right. 
Well, do you think that's a, is that a, a day's work? I think it is. Yeah. I wasn't joking about the, uh, about the movie question. Is there anything coming out that you're looking forward to seeing? Uh, boy, well, Rogue One, but that's, that's a mm. few months away. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, what else? I I was sort of intrigued by uh, by Sully because I heard Tom Hanks talk about it on uh, uh, Fresh Air to Terry Gross, but then I read some reviews and read more about it, and it sounds like it's it's mostly the NTSB investigation of the accident. Um, this is the guy who, for our international listeners, uh, Sully Sullenberg, the pilot uh, who ditched an A320 in the Hudson River in uh, January of 2009, I think it was, and so it sounds like the the beginning of the movie is, is quite dramatic where they recreate the flight, but the flight was like 208 seconds long. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's only so much you can do with the, uh, with the movie before you have to figure out some way to sustain 90 minutes of drama. And it sounds like they uh, sort of made the government investigators into the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So go for the first four minutes. Yeah. So maybe I'll wait till it's on, uh, uh, on some, some way I don't have to pay for it and I'll watch the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen anything particularly good this summer? Boy, I don't. I don't think so. I guess I lead a kind of dull life when it comes to movies. Did you take the kids to see Kubo? No. That that's excellent. That is really worth seeing. It's beautifully done. Um, it's it's very funny. It's very touching. I I really enjoyed it. Okay, I will file that away. Yeah, and there's not there's not that much you know that much out there that's uh, that's great for kids, uh, say, say our daughters' ages, um, but that that one that one certainly stood out. What are you uh, watching on TV? That's a good question. What am I watching on TV? Uh, Kristen and I have been watching Fringe. Uh, I've already been through Fringe all the way through, but uh, but we've been watching that, and that's a lot of fun. Um, I am not quite caught up. Uh, with this season of Mr. Robot, but I have been watching Mr. Robot. Um, People not, keep telling me I need to watch Mr. Robot. It's quite good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's worth watching, especially if you're in the the sort of um, internet biz. They they do take pains to get things more or less right. Every now and then you'll you'll see something that looks a little a little bit fishy, but. Um, you know, if you're if you're peering over the protagonist's shoulder, looking at what he's typing at the command line, <laughs> it's uh, they they do a, a good job. That's cool. Well, would you believe until this summer I had never seen an episode of Modern Family? Oh, really? No, no. I, <laughs> I I caught some on a plane, and I thought this show's really good. Yeah, and, yeah, it's super. It's it's really well done. It's it's, it's reliably funny. Yeah, and so I went uh, I went back and. <laughs> I bought the first three first three seasons on iTunes, and I'm now at the end. And I suppose I'm gonna fork out another twenty five bucks or whatever it is to buy season four and keep going. Because uh, especially since I've got a couple of plane rides coming up, um, you know. But I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Are you uh, headed off to to points far flung as part of your ICANN responsibilities? Uh, uh, far flung being L.A., but that's yeah. that's that's as far as I'm going for the foreseeable future that's uh that's another nice difference between uh this job and the previous job is there's considerably less air travel at least at the moment really i would have thought it might even be the the opposite or at least maybe the travel wouldn't be as frequent but it would be farther because of course the ICANN meetings are are 
somewhat famous for being in, in, I won't necessarily say exotic locales, but <laughs> maybe sometimes difficult to reach locales. Like the next one in Hyderabad, India? Yeah, <laughs> that would so, qualify. No, I'm, I'm not, going, not going to that one. I managed to, you know, not, nothing against, uh, against India, but it's a, it's a long way to go. And uh, we didn't need to send a cast of thousands, so I am not going, and I'm kind of kind of happy about that. But no, you're right. I think it, there there will be travel. Um, it'll be longer longer trips farther away. There just haven't happened to be, you know, for the next I don't know four or five weeks there aren't any. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. It's always nice to have some time to spend at home. All right. Well, you you want to take us out. Sure, I will do that. Well, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, we would love to get more questions from you, even though we have three more in the bag that we need to get to. Uh, you can submit your questions to Mr. DNS, MRDNS, at ask-mrdns.com. Uh, unless we have ask Mr. DNS with no dash.com uh, ready to go. No, you can't rush these things. <laughs> there has been no time. There has been no time. All right. Uh, and until next time, thanks very much. Bye-bye.